Hark the voice of Jesus calling, who will go and work today? Fields are white and harvest waiting, who will bear the sheaves away? Loud and long the master calleth, rich reward he offers free. Who will answer gladly, saying, Here am I, send me, send me. If you cannot cross the ocean and the heathen lands explore, you can find the heathen nearer, you can find them at your door. If you cannot give your thousands, you can give the widow's might. What you truly give for Jesus will be precious in his sight. Let none hear you idly saying, there is nothing I can do. While the souls of men are dying, and the master calls for you, take the task he gives you gladly, let his work your pleasure be. Answer quickly when he calleth. Here am I, send me, send me, send me, send me. Isaiah said, here am I, send my brother, right? Here am I, send me, send me. Don't send my dad, don't send my mom, don't send my kids, send me. Thank you, Jason. Boys and girls, head out to Children's Church. Andrew and Emily in charge of Children's Church today. Starting next Sunday, then for the month of February, Brother Luke and Amanda Hitz will be in charge of Children's Church during the month of February. So boys and girls ages four years old through fourth grade. Take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel today, 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17 today. Last Sunday night, we were finally able to get back into the book of 1 Samuel after being out of it for Thanksgiving Sunday, all the Sundays of December, the first Sunday of January with a focus on New Year's. And then two weeks of uh, COVID with very few people here, so we preached something else. But now we're back to 1 Samuel last Sunday night. I mentioned that we would not cover all, 40, uh, excuse me, all 58 verses in one message. I knew I wasn't going to do that. I said, maybe we can do it in two. I'm going to do it in three. One last Sunday night, one Sunday morning, rather. And then this morning and tonight, we will cover the rest of the chapter. We saw last Sunday three simple, simple points by way of introducing the story, getting into the beginning of the chapter. First of all, we saw the battle scene. That was verses 1 through 3. That was the, uh, the Israelites on one mountain and the Philistines on another mountain with the valley of Elah in between. What a beautiful 
beautiful illustration or picture of the Bible doctrine of separation. Where God's people, Satan's people, saved, unsaved, and there ought to be a difference. There should be a big distinction. There's a valley between, oh, how much the Bible says about separation. Secondly, last week in verses 4 through 11, we saw the enemy's challenge. His name was Goliath. The Bible tells us many things about Goliath, tells us many things about his armor, even his spear, and how much the tip of his spear weighed, and what all he had on. And it also tells us, of course, that he was nine feet, nine inches tall. So we found out about Goliath, and also his proposal was very simple. Why all this killing being anticipated? Why should all of you soldiers die on, on uh, in fact, you know, we're going to lose soldiers on, on both armies here, but there's no reason for that. Let's just, uh, I got a little proposal for you, okay? Um, I'm the champion here of the Philistines, so you Israelites pick out somebody to represent you, and just the two of us will duel it out, and it's, a, it's not a hard thing to figure out. If I get killed, then all of our Philistine soldiers will be your servants, and in fact, the Philistines will be your servants, and, uh, but if, uh, if I kill your, your guy, then you will be our servants. So, let's, uh, so send me a man. Send me somebody here to let's get this taken care of. That was the enemy's person and his proposal. 30 last week in verses 11 through 30, we saw the, Israel's, uh, the Israelites' response. We saw three things. They were very afraid. They were greatly afraid. The Bible says not just afraid. They were vehemently afraid. They were terrorized. They were greatly afraid. afraid. They were in dismay. And then also we found that they fled from Goliath. But there was one person... We just got barely introduced to him last week. There's one person who's not afraid. He's not dismayed. He doesn't run when he hears Goliath's challenge. His name is David. And we will be spending the focus of our message this morning and tonight will be on David. David gives us a, a powerful example to follow in dealing with any, whenever we deal with any challenging time. Not just the hopeless, I mean humanly speaking, the hopeless, helpless I mean, no-win situations, once in a while we face those. It's like we feel so overwhelmed, like no matter how much I attack this, no matter what I say or do or plan or spend or whatever else, it's like, it's, it, I can't win, okay? No, in those situations, I mean, we're looking at one here. Humanly speaking, nobody's going to beat Goliath. But this doesn't just cover, what, what we learn from David doesn't just cover those unusual, helpless-type situations. I mean, this is for any conflict we face. Any trial, any difficulty, anything where we're really up against it. It seems like a big, huge thing or maybe just a little thing, but it still is on our minds. We can learn a lot from David because David did not run from. David did not get dismayed. David was not greatly afraid. And as we know from the scriptures, David was successful. He slew Goliath, the giant. So the question is, how did he do it? How did he do it? And surely, surely... Of all the times I've ever lived in, 77 years, man, that sounds pretty bad. That sounds pretty old. That's 77 years, you know. There's been a lot of things happening in the world. There's been a lot of things happening in America. There's a lot of things happening in our life. And church is where we've been. So 77 years, I'm telling you. But of all the times I can look back upon, if there ever was a time that we as believers need the message, the simple message of David and Goliath, it happens to be today. So how was he successful? How did he defeat the giant? What can we learn from that? Number one, David, you got to start here. David was living in the will of God when the challenge presented itself to him. Follow along, please, as I read verses 12 through 22. 1 Samuel chapter 17, beginning at verse 12. Now David was the son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse. 
And he had eight sons. And the men went among them for an old man in the days of Saul. And the three eldest sons of Jesse went and followed Saul to the battle. And the names of his three sons that went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, next unto him, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. And David was the youngest, and the three eldest followed Saul. But David went and returned from Saul to feed the, the, his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near morning and evening and presented himself forty days. And Jesse said unto David his son, Take now for thy brethren enough of, of this parched corn and these ten loaves, and run to the camp to thy brethren, and carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of their thousand, and look upon, or look how thy brethren fare. See how they're doing, and take their pledge. Now Saul and they all now excuse me, now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose up early in the morning. He left the sheep with the keeper. He took and went as Jesse his father had commanded him. He came to the trench as the host was going forth to the fight and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted or greeted his brethren. Where is David? Where has he been? Where is he? He's in the will of God. He's doing what God has called him to do. When his three oldest brothers were serving in Saul's army, what was David doing? He's home. He's out in the wilderness or in the fields or on the hills or the mountains. What's he doing? He's tending his father's sheep. Why is he doing that? Because his dad told him to. He's obeying his father, his earthly father. And therefore, in obedience to his earthly father, he is in the will of God. And when I preach to children about obeying their parents and honoring their parents, I do get into this for them because they are not going to go far in finding God's will for their life. They're not going to go far in spiritual success while they're disobeying and dishonoring their parents. That's just the way it is, okay? Show me a child who does not honor and obey his parents on a regular basis consistently. I will show you a child who's not right with God now, and he never will be used of God to do anything until he gets it fixed up. And so David here is in the will of God. Then there comes a time when his father calls him in and says, I want you to leave the sheep. I want you to bring some food to your brothers. I want you to go to the battlefield, off from the little hills here to the battlefield. Bring this food. Bring, bring something here for your brethren and see how they're doing. And once again, what does David do? We read it. David, he, he, he arises. He goes. He, he just obeys his father. He's this earthly father. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor that father and their mother. David's living like that. So his dad says, okay, now it's time to quit feeding the sheep. It's time to go to the battlefield and bring these things to, the, to, to, to your brothers here. And off he goes. I mean, the lesson's pretty simple, but you got to start here. You want to you you fight the giant and be successful? You want to come out the winner? Then you have to be in the place where God has called you to be. You have to be doing what God has called you to do. And on a regular, daily basis, you need to be living for Christ. You need to be living for the Lord. We can, we can expect to be victorious over the challenges of life while we're doing what God wants us to do. While we are obeying our Father's will as revealed in His Word. How did David know what to do? His dad told him what to do. Told him verbally, obviously. How do we know what to do as believers? We want to obey our Heavenly Father. We want to walk in the will of our Heavenly Father. Then we better be people of this book. Because God's will is revealed in God's word. There are no shortcuts. There's no way around that. We say, well, I, I just want to, I want, to, I want to be in the will of God. Then you better get in the Bible. And you better learn the scriptures. 
to live obeying our Father's word, therefore being in his will. It makes such a huge difference when any conflict, when any struggle, when any hardship, when any battle comes our way. That is so important. And so we should expect, when we're in the will of God, we should expect challenges. We should also expect victory. I love to read and study the story of the Israelites leaving Egypt and going all the way through the wilderness. And so many of the trials that they faced, whether it was the Red Sea or a lack of water or a lack of food or whatever it would have been. I mean, whatever the problem was, you always saw how God provided one way or another. And that challenge was met because they were in the place where God told them to be. And God led them from this place. He led them with that pillar of fire, remember, by night and a pillar of cloud by day. He leads them to a different place. And what you know what? There's a big challenge there. They're in the will of God. God takes care of his people while they're walking in his will. Surely we learn that from David here. Number two this morning. David did not allow criticism and accusations of others to hinder him. Thank you, Luke, for getting a start on that. Amen. A little pre-message there, okay? He's my publicity leader. He's my promo guy, okay? Uh, David did not allow criticism. He did not allow accusations of others to hinder him, to slow him down, or to stop him. Let's read, if we could, please. Let's skip down to verse 28, 29, and 30. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard him when he spake unto the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why camest thou down hither? Why hast thou left those sheep, those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride. I know the naughtiness of thine heart. For thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. David said, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? And he turned from him to another and spake after the same manner as he'd been speaking. And the people answered him again after the former. He said, why didn't you read all those verses in between? If you were here last Sunday night, you heard all those verses. You heard the verses from verse 22 all the way down to 28. I preached on those last Sunday night. We don't have time to read them all again. But the point here is that David now faces some criticism. He's accused of something from, not his, not his little brother, not his little brother, you know, not some little friend here. This is the oldest brother, okay? This is the oldest brother. He's got some criticism. He's got some accusations here. So David's oldest brother, what does he do? He questions David. He questions his attitude. He questions his actions. He questions his reason. Basically, his reason. What are you here for? And that ties in with, he questions his motivation, his motivation. Why are you? I know why you're here. Why are you here? So what? How does David respond? He tells us he kept on doing what he'd been doing. He just kept going to the soldiers, asking them questions. What's this all about? And, and, and you know, again, not go back and preach it. But he's just, he's been doing that, and his brother Eliab sees him doing this, and he says, "Okay, hold it, come here, come here, David. I know why you're here. What are you doing this for?" David keeps right on doing what he's been doing. Doesn't change a thing. He doesn't cave in. He doesn't quit. He doesn't stop. He, do, he just goes forward. Because when you serve the Lord, when you set out to serve Christ, you should not be surprised if you will soon or later, you will face some opposition. Somebody is going to criticize you. Somebody is going to disagree with you. Somebody is going to accuse you of something. And you and I know if you've been there, it hurts. It always hurts. It hurts. It never gets over being hurt. I can remember a time when I sat in that office and somebody came and talked to me. It, 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 it hurt me more than any time I've ever been hurt in the ministry. I'm telling you, when you sit at your desk and somebody says, 
Pastor, we're gonna, we love you, but we're going to leave the church because we're just not being fed the Bible here. I, I can't, I could not in my wildest imagination figure what was that all about. I mean, folks, do I preach the Bible? So we're just not being fed the Bible. I, I couldn't say anything. I stood up, I started crying. I stood up, I put my head against the wall. And I, I've never done this in my life before or since. I stood up, I put my head against the wall, and I started crying, and I couldn't quit crying. To think that somebody was saying, after all these years, going to leave the church because Pastor Carsey's done preached the Bible. I mean, hey, that, that hurt, folks. You, that, that, you, don't, you don't wake up the next morning and make believe you never heard that. Now, somebody in your life has done something like that. Somebody has criticized you. Somebody's opposed you. Somebody has uh, uh, accused you of having a false motive or something you've done you should have never done or something that you said you should have never said. And it's like, hey, folks, so what do you do? What do you do? You go on. If you're David, you go on. Didn't slow him down. Didn't stop him. Kept right on going. Dr. Bob Jones Sr. said, you cannot move without producing. Do you know the next word? Friction. You cannot move without producing friction. I don't know much about science. You know, brother, brother, tell me I'm not a science guy, but I, I do understand that. You cannot move without producing friction. And if you and I are going to be in the battle of the Lord, like David here, you might as well put it down. Not everybody's going to be on your side. Not everybody's going to agree with you. Not everybody's going to like what you're doing. The opposition will come. Uh, it's going to be there. And David says, listen, i got someone else I want to talk to here. And he goes over to another soldier, and he just keeps on, keeps on asking the same question. Dr. Bob Jones Sr. also said the test of your character is what it takes to stop you. The test of your character is what it takes to stop you. One of the keys, I believe, to successfully defeating the giants that come and attack us is to be willing to go forward in the midst of criticism, false accusations. You keep your eyes upon the Lord. And by the way, David was alone in his thinking that day. You read this whole chapter, you don't see anybody up with David, okay? He's alone. But you and I know from reading this chapter, he's really not alone because somebody is with him and we know who that somebody is. The Lord is with him. David is not alone. He's got the Lord on his side because he's on the Lord's side. And you and God make a majority. So when the going gets tough, you just get going. You just keep on going. Surely we can learn that from David here. Number three, and this is really the heart of the message. This is the beginning of this message now from now to the end of this chapter. This is the main thing. David was successful in, feeding, in defeating Goliath, and we can be too. If we just do what David did here, he focused on the reality of the situation. He focused on, listen to me now, he focused on the real issue that was at stake. Why is he successful? He's living in the will of God, doing what his fathers told him to do. Why is he successful? Because he doesn't stop when opposition problems come. And number three, he doesn't stop. He's successful. Why? Because he truly focused on the reality of the situation and the real issue that was at stake. And really, this is the, this is the heart of the entire story. The reason we get, we, we have the reason for David's success in these next few verses and really throughout about the next 25, 30 verses in the chapter. Because listen, David saw the situation differently than the others. He saw the situation as it really truly was. Not as a spiritual war. And in David's thinking, and while you will see this so clearly in this passage, it, it, in David's mind, it was all about the name 
the reputation and the glory of the one and only true God. In his mind, that's what this fight is all about. That's what this battle is all about. It's not about me. It's about the reputation. It's about the name. It's about the glory of the one and only true God. We will see that so clearly here. To David, this was not a battle just for survival. This wasn't a matter of who's going to win the Philistines or the Israelites. Who's going to lose the most men? Who's going to do the chase and who's going to do the following? No, it wasn't about that. It was not a battle for survival. Somebody's going to win. Somebody's going to lose. And somebody, when it's all done, uh, again, this is, this is uh, like, hey, you know, how many soldiers are we going to lose here? I mean, what's this going to happen? And then, and then we got to go home and tell, our, tell the wives and the children that their dad died in battle. And his mind's not going down that trail of like, you know, physical survival. You know, stay alive. He's not thinking about that. It's not it. To David, this battle was more about a war. It wasn't just a war to save families. It wasn't just a war to save friends. It wasn't just a war to save homes, to save possessions. I got all that stuff back home and just got this beautiful house. And it's like, now what happens if we lose this battle? David's not thinking about this kind of stuff. And he's not even thinking about his country. It's not about Israel to David. It's more than stuff. It's more than family. It's more than friends. It's more than possessions. It's more than Israel, our country. It's all about God. It's all about the reputation and the glory of God. So what David's thinking is like this. Okay, the real issue here is that God is under attack, and I don't appreciate that. I'm going to fight for God. David focused his eyes upon Israel's God, not on the Philistines' giant. He wanted God to be the victor that day. He wanted God to be glorified. He wanted God he wanted God to be accepted. He wanted God to be accepted. His eyes are upon the Lord. We know it's true. We know this is true. Mainly, we know this is true because not just what David did. That proves it. We know this is true because of the things that David said. What does the Bible say? What did Jesus say? Out of the abundance of the heart together, the mouth speaketh. You want to know what a man really believes? You want to know what a person really thinks in their mind? You want to know what their life is really all about? Just listen to them talk. Just listen to what they talk about. Just listen to what they say. Just hear them out. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And when you read the rest of this chapter, and you don't just see what David did, you listen to what he said and you take time to think about, to meditate upon, to ponder, to run up through your mind. What? David said that? What in the world did he mean? What? Oh, it's huge. We know David was focused upon God. We know David's main desire, his motivation here was all, it wasn't about David, it wasn't about people, it wasn't about things. It was all about the reputation and the glory of God. And we know that because of the things that David said. What David said what he did is all linked together in verses 26 through 51. And as I was preparing the message, when I got to this part of the message, I said, Larry, you might as well forget about the outline. Just forget the outline. I think the best thing we can do is work our way through from verse 26 right on down through the rest of the chapter. And especially put the focus now on what was it that David said that reveals to us what's in his mind What's in his heart? So let's start, please, at verse 26. We already read it. Let's read 26 again. 
And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this? Two words out loud, please. What does he call him? Uncircumcised Philistine. Okay, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now, there's two things in that quote there by David that we got to pick up on. First of all, he calls Goliath an uncircumcised Philistine. And secondly, he says he's got a major problem because he is defying the armies of the living God, underlying God. So we have an uncircumcised Philistine in direct contrast with a holy, true, living God. By the way, go back to verse 25. Go back to verse 25. And the men of Israel said, uh, verse 24, And all the men of Israel, when they saw this man, fled from him and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man that has come up? Surely two, next two words out loud, please. Defy Israel. See the difference there? Have you seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up. And it shall be, and then he tells what's going to be done for the man who kills this guy who's defying Israel. Now go back to verse 26. Because David says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? You see that? He's not talking, he's not worried about defying Israel. He's worried about someone who is defying the armies of the, the living God. What a contrast. So David's basically saying, the issue here, the issue here is not Israel. The issue here is God. And then notice, please, David called Goliath this, this uncircumcised Philistine. So what's that all about? Well, you've got to put your mind back in the Old Testament now. This is not 2022 at uh, Baptist Hospital or Mercy Hospital when a baby's born. This is back there in the Old Testament, okay? When a baby boy was born, as you know, back in the Old Testament, if he was Jewish, if he was an Israelite, he was physically circumcised shortly after his birth. It had nothing to do with physical hygiene. It had nothing to do with body health. This wasn't a safety thing. This was not a health thing. This was a spiritual thing, right? Highly spiritually significant. That this boy is now in the family of Israel. He's an Israelite. We would call him a Jew. He's Jewish. He's an Israelite. This is one of God's own special people. To this young man, the oracles, the laws of God are being given. This, is the, this boy is now in the family, the, the nation from which the Messiah, the Christ, is going to come. And they were separated from all the heathen, from all those who did not have Jehovah God as their God, for all those who did not have the laws of God. They didn't have the promise of the coming Messiah from their nation. They are, they are basically, they are on the outside looking in. And the thing that was God had ordained that would show the difference was the fact that God's men would be circumcised. It was a big deal spiritually. It's not a physical thing. And David says, who in the world is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God He's looking at Goliath in his spiritual condition. He's looking at spiritual issues, and he said, we have a problem here. It's not on a physical body. It's not on that nine feet, nine inches tall body. And by the way, folks, are we not supposed to look at trials and difficulties like this as spiritual issues? I mean, I don't, I don't have time to go there. 
let me just tell you this. Okay, I mentioned this last night at volleyball for a little devotions. I've been doing a little personal study of Matthew 6. But Jesus says, hey, listen, don't be worrying about food and drink. Don't be worried about what about if you run out of clothes. No, just take a look at the birds. Your heavenly Father feeds them. And they don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather into barns like you do. You work, they don't. They just find the food. God, your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? And he says, why are you worried about clothes? Why don't you meditate upon, think about the flowers of the field. They toil not, neither do they spin. No one, and yet even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, tomorrow is cast in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? And then he says, he calls us, we just said, little faith. Will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Next phrase. For after all these things do the, do you know the next word? Gentiles. For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. So what he's saying is, listen, the, the people that don't have God, they don't have the Messiah, they don't have the scriptures, they are totally spiritually ignorant and dead. We studied this in Ephesians, remember, back in chapter 4? This is why they do what they do, and this is why they think like they think, and this is why they wear like what they wear, and this is why they drink what they drink, and this is why they go where they go and talk. This is why they dream like, I mean, this, it's, it's the unsaved world without God. They're on the outside looking in. They're uncircumcised Philistines, so to speak. And, God, and Jesus says in Matthew 4, Matthew 6, when you worry about food and drink and clothes as a Christian, you are a worldly Christian for sure who is living like a pagan. You're thinking like an unsaved person, an unsaved Gentile. And he says, shame on you, oh, ye of little faith. Your the very next phrase, your heavenly father knows what you need, what, he, what you need. Now go back to what we're thinking in our text because this is so important because this is a spiritual battle. This is about spiritual things. This is about the name and the glory of the only true living God. And this man, it doesn't matter how tall he is. It doesn't matter what kind of weapons he has. It doesn't matter what kind of armor he has. He is defying the armies of the living God because he is nothing but an uncircumcised Philistine. We should look at struggles like that. Ephesians 6 verses 10 through 12. What does it say? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities against powers, against the rulers of darkness, against spiritual wickedness in high places. But also there's a great verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4. God says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty, through God to the pulling down of strongholds. We look at too many of our conflicts. We look at too many of our strifes, our hardships, our battles. We look at too many of them as physical things, material things, earthly, earthly conflicts. We should look further and say, what is this really all about? Is this not a spiritual thing here? And if it is, and more of our struggles and hardships and trials are about spiritual things than we can ever imagine because we don't think of them that way. It's about family and friends and money or church or health or whatever, relationships. And it's like, oh, wait a minute, no. Is this a spiritual thing? Is this a spiritual issue? David says it really is. It really is. It's a spiritual thing. And then look at verse 29. And David said, what have I now done? This is, this is, he's answering his brother who's accusing him. Well, I know why you've come here. You know, I little kid. Why don't you get on back and take care of those few little sheep, Okay. 
Stay out of our business here. David's response, 29. And David said, what have I now done? Is there not a, next word. Oh, I was hoping Luke didn't start preaching on this. I'm telling you, folks, I, I said last Sunday night, I asked you, uh, do you have, if we read through this whole chapter, would there be any phrase that would jump out in your mind as the key phrase in the book? I said, there's one that I, every, I, I just even think, I can't even think about this chapter without thinking of this one phrase. We got in the car last Sunday night, headed out to get something to eat. And I said, oh, Bonnie, I want to ask you a question. You, you've read 1 Samuel 17 a few times. You, I'm sure you've taught it to your children. Read the Bible story to our kids. Is there any phrase in the whole chapter that just jumps out at you? And without hesitation, she said, is there not a cause? No, let's praise the Lord, okay? That's it. Is there not a cause? That is, I believe, the most important phrase in the entire chapter. The word cause, by the way, you want to have some fun? You better have some time. Look up the word cause in a Hebrew dictionary. Look up the definitions. Ways that it's, uh, the words for it in the Old Testament. Listen, there are more than 70 different, 70, not seven, 70. There are more than 70 different ways that this word cause could be translated. It's translated in the Old Testament. It's a very broad term. I personally believe that God led the men who have translated the Old Testament King James Version. I believe there's not a better word that they could have ever used and caused. I don't, I don't know what other, I've got some other translations. I don't know what word's in there. Please don't Google it while I'm preaching. Wait till you get home, please. I know some of you, man, you're on your Google right now. You want to check the ESV, check the NASB, check the NIV, check all that, check the good news for modern man or the old news for modern, whatever. I mean, just, no, wait till you get home, please, would you please? I have no idea if they all or none of them or half of them have the word cause, but really there is, when you look at this chapter and what this is all about and the mind and heart of David, I can't think of a better word. They didn't use the other words. Hey, listen, because they didn't have to use this word. There's these things called variants. In the old original First King James Bible, the margins had hundreds and hundreds of variants. The author said, look, we chose this word. We believe God wants us to, to translate it with this word, but we agree that it could have been this word or this word or this word or this word. I'm so glad they used the word cause. Because when David says, is there not a cause? That is really, really powerful. Because what's he saying? Men, don't we see how important this whole challenging situation is? Do we not see the reason for this? Do we not see the purpose of this battle right here? I mean, there is a reason. There is a purpose in all this. There's an all-important issue at stake here is what David is saying. Is there not a cause? Is there not a vitally important issue that is at stake right here? And I would hope that when he said this, they would have said, oh, yeah. Yeah, we should be thinking about that. That's the heart of David. He reveals the cause. He reveals the purpose. He reveals the importance of the conflict. And what he has already been saying, and now especially what he's going to say in the story that follows. And I want to ask you a question this morning. Do we see the significance of whatever trial, whatever hardship, whatever battle you're facing? In whatever area of life it is, no matter if it seems like a small thing or a really, really big deal. I just ask you, do you ever ask the question, what is this really all about?
What is this, what's the cause of this thing here? What's the purpose of this thing? What's the, what's the issue here? And if we can see that it has a spiritual, a highly spiritual significance, especially because it has to do with the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ being glorified or Christ being disdained or put down or criticized or ridiculed or thought lightly of or even ignored. Man, does that, that ought to kick us into gear. We ought, to, we ought to be people that live just thriving on this question. Is there not a cause? Is this important or what? That's what David's talking about. What's the cause in our thinking every day? From day to day. What, why are we here? What is life all about for a Christian? What's the purpose of living every day? I say this, I say this, as God knows my heart, with, with no pride. I say this with true humility. And what I'm going to tell you now, it's not like I do this every day of my life. There are some things I do every day of my life. This is not one of them. But the day after I finished preparing this part of the message, when I got up in the morning, really early, I sat on the edge of the bed. Before I stood up, my mind, it was in my heart. I said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain today. That's what, Philippians 1, 21? What does Paul say in the verse before that? He said, I don't want to be ashamed. I want Christ to be magnified in my body. With all boldness, I don't want to be ashamed. I want to live for Christ. And he leads right into, because for me to live is Christ. That's the cause. And then my mind went to 1 Corinthians 10, 31, even though I wasn't eating a meal at the wilds. That's where I, that's where I first, I mean, you go to the wilds camp, you're going to, read, you're going to, you're going to quote that verse before every meal. And, and by the time you leave, it's in your mind and your heart, you'll never forget it. I sat on the edge of my bed and I said, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do today, today, just today, you might not have tomorrow, just today, do all for the glory of God. Let's go, Larry. Stood up and took off. Just telling you, folks, that really is the mindset, is it not? Say amen. That is the mindset we're supposed to have because we don't know what's going to happen during a day that is so exciting we can hardly stand it. We don't know what's going to happen during the day that comes and says, no, I wasn't anticipating this. Whoa, I don't know if I can handle this. We have no idea what's going on in any day that we're going to face. But what better way to start a day than say, listen, is there not a cause? What is the cause? That God be glorified in my life. That Jesus Christ be praised. That we make some kind of impact on an unsaved person or another Christian that will help them spiritually because, listen, folks, Life is a spiritual battle, and you know that's true if you're serious about the Lord. So are we ready and eager to go forward? Whatever difficult situation we face, with our eyes upon our God, we have this burning desire to glorify Him, to live for the one and only true God, and everything that fits in with that causes us to rejoice and stirs us forward, but everything that's opposed to that doesn't go with that. It doesn't make us run. It doesn't make us quit. It doesn't make us give up. It doesn't make us go cry and hide and, and get angry and all the rest of this stuff. It just, it just shoves us into high gear saying, God is not being glorified. I can't go that route. I'm not doing that. i got to say something to her. 
That's just the way it is. And then let's close, please. Would you go to verse 36? I don't preach by the clock. I try to. I always plan to, but I know I don't. So I don't have a certain time. I have to be done. My watch says I'm supposed to be done in like five minutes. So how fast can I get this in? Would you go to verse 36? Let's look at one more thing that, that David said, and we'll get the rest tonight. Verse 36. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. You say, what is that all about? I mean, David's already mentioned this uncircumcised Philistine, already spoken about him. He's already spoken about defying the armies of the living God, so whatever else is in here that's important. Really? Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be, here it is, as one of them. You see, that's how he's looking at Goliath. One day it was a bear. Gone. Another day it was a lion. And soon it will be this uncircumcised Philistine who's defying the armies of the living God because it won't be long and he will be gone. What does he say? He will be as one of them. Let's read this. Verse 31. When the words were heard which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep. And there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went after him and I smote him and I delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and I smote him and slew him. Could I ask you a question, please? Would you answer out loud? Did David say that he had anything to do with that bear and that lion being killed? Yes or no? That shouldn't be hard. The answer is yes. <laughs> it's all personal pronouns. David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep. There came out a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of, the, out of the flock. And I went out after him. And I smote him. And I delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard. And I smote him and slew him. 36. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. He said, I did that. But that's not the end of what he said. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. And listen to the rest of his testimony. David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. You say, what's the lesson here? There's a whole bunch of them. David knew that he had a part in what was going to happen. God doesn't just do everything. He said, this is what I did to the bear. This is what I did to the lion. And I'm going to do this with this Philistine. I got stuff I got to do. But when it's all said and done and all the smoke is cleared, so to speak, we all will know, I will know, you will know, everyone who knows, everyone who hears will say, that had to be somebody else, not David. And God will get the glory he deserves. Because 
God is the one who delivered me. The Lord delivered me from the bear. The Lord delivered me from the lion. And the same God who delivered me while I did my thing is the same God who will deliver me and Israel from this uncircumcised Philistine who is defying the armies of the living God because there is a major cause for this. And by the way, wasn't it nice? David had some experiences of the past to look back on. I've preached on that before, haven't I? What's it say in the New Testament? Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are before. I press toward the mark of the prize, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And somebody says, sincerely, somebody says, it's never good to look back. It's always bad to look back. Terrible thing. Don't ever look back. Most of the time, it's probably bad to look back. It's not really encouraging, is it? But there are sometimes the greatest thing we can do in serving the Lord and going forward, fighting the enemy, the spiritual battle, because there is a cause. Sometimes the best thing we can do is look back and say, you know what? God did that back there. I remember this situation. And it was, it was like helpless. And look what God did. And look what God did here. And look what God, and, and it's all of a sudden, whoa. And, and before long, you say, you know what? I know God did that back then. And I know he can and will do it again. This ungodly, uncircumcised Philistine shall be like the bear line back there in the past because what God did back then, he can and will do again. Let's pray. That's just the start. You know, I wish we could just, I could preach about another 45 minutes and we could skip church tonight. No, no, we're not doing that, okay? But I mean, I'm so fired up for tonight's message. As we work our way through the rest of this chapter, I hope that you can be here tonight because you'll be challenged, you'll be encouraged, you'll be strengthened as we keep looking at what did David say that led him to do what he did. Because these are great keys to spiritual success in fighting whatever battles we face. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the privilege of studying the scriptures. I thank you for the privilege of preaching thy word. Thank you for each one who's come today to be fed thy word. And I pray today that we will in our hearts have the genuine spirit that you want us to have in examining our lives. In the light of the word that we've heard this morning, how are we doing? Would you, would you meet our needs, Lord? We're in, we're in, we fail so often. We're defeated so often and didn't, don't, we shouldn't be. Don't have to be, but we are. We don't have the success we always want and desire. I pray, Father, that whatever is our fault, you will point that out to us and we'll get that right. Help us to keep looking to you and leaning upon you. We must do that in Jesus' name. Would you stand please together today?